Good afternoon. It's good to see you here, and welcome to the new semester of uni. My name is Rob, and I'm glad that you've been able to join us today and uh, join us here at uni this semester. One of the great features of university life, I hope you will agree, especially at the University of Wollongong, which excels at this area of life, is belonging. The university wishes you to feel like you belong here. When you walk through the university, you see uh, lots of groups meeting, lots of people, people at your age and stage of life. There's people with clubs and their stalls inviting you to come and join. Uh, it, it looks like an inviting place. The university wants it to be an inviting place, such that you feel like you belong. And so this week, you really feel like you can belong. Uh, you might have only just started here at U. You're enrolled. You've got your enrollment form that says that you belong here. Uh, don't fail any assessments yet, uh, so you really can feel like you belong. Uh, there's nothing to do yet, uh, well, nothing ending yet at least, and so it's quite relaxed. The sun's shining. You walk through here. The, the music's playing. Everyone's chilled. It's very relaxed, and you think, I can really belong. I really feel like a bull. It's a powerful dynamic. Do you feel like you belong? Maybe there's probably quite a lot of people who don't feel like they belong for whatever reason. But do you feel like you belong? Do you feel like you belong here in this room? Here, 20.2, on Wednesday. Uh, you might be here at the, the environmental talks because someone's invited you along or just to send signs in. Come along with you, come along because you came along last semester. And do you feel like you belong here? Do you feel like you don't belong here? And you're thinking, maybe I've made the wrong choice. Well, let me assure you that you've made the right choice uh, to come along today. It doesn't matter whether you've never looked at the Bible before, you've no idea what it is. You belong here. Why don't you that you're actually opposed to the Christian message? Uh, and what the Bible teaches. Until you come along to, to look at it and examine it, you belong here. It's a great place to be. We're glad that you've joined us. Each week, we open up the Bible and see what it has to say to us. Uh, as Christians, we believe that the Bible is God speaking to us. That's what God wants us to know about himself and about his world and how to live in this world. And so we just work through it as God's given it to us. Because it is God's word to us, it's right that we actually ask God to help us understand it. And so I'm going to lead us in prayer asking God to help. If you would like to say yes to that prayer, then you can say amen to me. But I'm going to lead us in prayer to God. Lord, thank you for your word to us that we have here in the book of Acts. Pray that you would help us to understand what you would have us know. And pray that you would help me to be able to speak it clearly and faithfully, and that we'd be able to respond rightly. Amen. We're in a part of the Bible called the Book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. And we've been working our way through it last semester, 
And so if you're new with us, we're up to chapter 11. And you might think I've never looked at this before in my life. Uh, no one knew what That's okay. Some of you have forgotten anyway. Everything that we looked at, we forgot the little subject from last semester. They go out and go quickly, don't they? We'll have to get back up to speed. Uh, what I want us to point us to, first of all, in this passage, and you've got it there on your little outline on, on the left, what I want to point you to first up is what I think is the key sentence in this whole passage that helps us understand this, all of these chapters here in this part of the book of Acts. And I want to point us to chapter 11 and verse uh, 18. You'll see all those little numbers there. And we'll see towards the middle, number 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Uh, so you might understand, a Gentile, not a strange word for you, means of the nations. Someone who comes from another nation other than Israel, someone who is non-Jewish, is a Gentile. Now, in this key sentence, and you'll have to work it out for yourself by reading around this, whether you agree that it is the key sentence, but in this key sentence there is a key word that I think captures the message of this whole section of the book of Acts. Well, here you go. Introduce yourself to the person next to you, or one or two around you, if that works better, and friend for life, uh, and share your thoughts on what you think is the key word in that sentence, that sentence number 18. doesn't matter if you have no, no clue, uh, there's 26 words, you've got one in 26 chance of getting the right, you think I think is the right thing. I'll give you a moment to go. Quick straw poll of the results. Who, who, who didn't have a guess at all? Oh, the people didn't have a guess. Someone might have just got a guess. Okay, I'll take a number of uh, responses. Anyone want to volunteer their response? Also. Also, who said that? Five, six, another thought, another... Granted. No? Granted. Granted. Who said granted? Maybe a few more. Yeah, boy, probably that's the winner at the moment. Any other? Offerings? Gentiles. Gentiles. Ah, who said Gentiles? Oh, not me. <laughs> a few. Uh, anything else? Glorified. Glorified. Okay. Who said glorified? Oh, I haven't been counting, so I'm not sure if that totals everybody. <laughs> Who hasn't answered yet? That did choose one? What did you guys say? Caleb says heard. Caleb says heard. Caleb says heard. Caleb says heard. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I said repentance. Oh, repentance. You said repentance? Okay. Uh, I'm going to stop it there uh, for time's sake. Okay, I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> we started uh, this passage, uh, it started off a little bit strange, but in the middle of the speech, halfway through the speech that Peter is making. Peter, who's a leader of the followers of Jesus. Uh, sorry we couldn't fit the whole passage of the speech in the, the side of the page there. Uh, Peter, who is Jewish, 
uh, has been criticised by his Jewish friends, uh, fellow followers of Jesus who are Jewish, for eating with Gentiles. And he defends himself by recounting to these critics everything that has just happened to him in the previous chapter, chapter 10. So if you weren't with us, this is a quick recap, recap of chapter 10. He tells them how God showed him a vision where he was told by God to eat non-kosher food, unclean food. He reassures them, uh, like them, that, that he argued the point with God. No, God, I've never touched anything unclean. Three times God shows him the vision and says, what I have called clean, don't call unclean. Well, verse 11, which you don't have on your sheets there, but you can see up there, Peter says, and behold, at that very moment, with Peter's seeing vision, that is, uh, three men arrived at the house in which we in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. No distinction. No distinction about what? Peter recounts how he met these unclean Gentile men. He'd never met them before in his life, but he turned up, and they asked him to come with them. They asked, him, they asked him to come with them. A day's journey to the city of Joppa, uh, which for your geography uh, excitement is the modern day city of Jaffa. Remember where that's where the Roman name comes from? I don't know. But apparently oranges are involved in the city next history. Uh, to Jaffa. To the house of Cornelius who's another Gentile who himself has been told by an angel to send for Peter. The angel even tells Cornelius why to send for Peter. Verse 14, uh, he says, He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your whole household. Which is just as well because when Peter arrived at Cornelius' house, he didn't know why he was there. But Cornelius had been told by the end of why Peter was there, and it led to Peter doing two things. Well, it led to Peter telling them the message. And then Peter recounts two things that happened. Verse 15, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. Verse 17, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? That they believed the message. And Peter's critics at this point fall silent. They drop their criticism and it turns to praise. And the verse that we began. And they glorified God saying then to the Gentiles also God has granted acceptance through repentance that leads to life what is the key word? I think captures all this also also Gentile people 
are also included in God's kingdom, just like the Jewish believers were. No distinction. Sorry, no, that's not like a mark, high distinction, distinction. That's like no difference. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. God's people, God's national people, and the people of the nations. Now, for many of us, all of this seems like pretty good at time. Cornelius and his whole household come to faith in Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit to blessing. It's pretty obvious to many of us, and it's pretty good. But that's because most of us have been, well, we haven't been alive for 2,000 years, but we, we have taken on board 2,000 years of Christian teaching, Christian teaching of the radically inclusive message of Jesus, where racial inclusivity, that is, people of all races, are included <coughs> in Christ. We've had 2,000 years of that to sink in into Western culture, into Western thinking. Many other cultures, uh, even cultures that have that are very hospitable cultures, there's often barrier to being included as being a part of that culture. One of the things that is distinctive of Western culture is the inclusivity of all races in involvement in the nation. In practice, it's hard to get it right in every context and every generation. But the foundations and thinking of racial inclusion have been passed down in the gospel message of Jesus. That Jesus is the ruler of all nations. But up to this point, all the Christians in the world were Jewish. The Jewish, the Jesus movement is a Jewish movement. Uh, we don't, we Westerners don't get it, but the Jews just don't mix with Gentiles. The Jews wouldn't believe that the Gentiles could be a part of God's plan, God's nation. I think we see it in different contexts, we can understand it in different contexts. A little bit like the members of, say, a, a white supremacist group, like, say, the Ku Klux Klan, <coughs> being included with and hanging out with members of Black Lives Matter. It probably wouldn't happen. The question at the time was, is it possible for Gentiles at all to be Christian? And spoiler alert for um, chapters, do Gentiles who have become Christians need to become Jewish? And so, part chapter 15 aside. Okay. Well, if you didn't get any of that or follow any of that, no problems, because uh, Luke recaps it for us, uh, changes tack, and makes his point in a different way. Point two. Gentile church grows just like uh, Luke drops the whole Cornelius Peter saga. And recaps another narrative that is already told uh, to make a similar point. Were you with us back when we looked at Acts 8? If you weren't, well, that's okay. We've recapped it here, see? This is a good to be here. Do you remember? Do you remember if you were here back in Acts 8? Back in Jerusalem, Stephen the preacher, the preacher of Jesus, was put to death by Jewish leadership by the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem. Do you remember that? Well, Luke highlights that for us. 
uh, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus. Do you remember how when that persecution came, when Stephen was killed, that all of the Christians in Jerusalem, all the Jewish Christians, except for the apostles, the twelve apostles, all fled from Jerusalem. Do you remember Luke recounting that? And as they went, what did they do? Do you remember what they did as they went? They spread the word. They spread the word. Now Luke sort of backtracks from that slightly. Because what does he say? Uh, that arose over Stephen, travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Well, they spread, you know, they were refugees fleeing from Jerusalem and they spread the word. That's pretty cool. That's great. Uh, it's not quite as cool as what it could have been because they only spread the word to Jews. <coughs> but, 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 verse 20, but there were some of them. Men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Read that key word again. Also, that is, the guys from Cyrene and Cyprus who fled from out of Jerusalem, they spoke not just to the Jews, but to the, the Greek-speaking non-Christians, the, the Hellenists, are preaching Jesus. Elsewhere, Luke does use the word Hellenists. I mean the Greek Jewish Christians. Here the Hellenists are the Greek speaking non Christians, uh, non Jewish people. And so these guys from Cyrene and Cyprus, good on them. They've, they've crossed racial barriers that others didn't cross. And were they the good guys? Absolutely they were the good guys because, verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The Lord shows that his hand was with their efforts by the great numbers that turned. The numbers uh, don't mean everything, they're not they don't mean anything at all, but here they actually mean something. God's hand is with them. And so we have a whole group of people, Greek speakers, who aren't Jewish, who don't know the message of the kingdom of God until now, they're gathered together. What do they do? Well, the church in Jerusalem here of this wave of Greek speakers way up in Antioch who believe the message and join their movement and they're going gangbusters at the time. These unclean, non-Jewish outsiders have come in. Is that possible? What did the church back in Jerusalem do? Well, they sent Barnabas Check it all out. So you see there, verse 22. The Lord, the record of all this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So he was a good man. And a great many were added to the Lord, we're told. Barnabas finds them all non-Jews who believe the gospel message. Brand new to God's kingdom. What do they do? They gather together. There's so many of them, there's not enough bulletins or outlines to hand around when they meet. They didn't have bulletins. 
And that one, obviously, I didn't print them. They can print it, but they didn't even know what one was. In fact, what is church? What we did, they have no experience of gathering together as God's people. What the Jewish people did is they had the Psalms to sing, they had something to go on with this new thing, but what do they do? Well, someone says, well, why don't we call ourselves Christians? Well, someone gives them the name Christian. So you see, verse, six, then, oh, verse 26, sorry. For a whole year they met with the church and taught many, uh, a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. It's quite possibly chaos with all of these believers. Joyful, spirit-filled, Jesus-loving chaos. What do you do with so many who turn to the Lord who barely know a thing? Well, Barnabas, what does he do? He leaves. And goes and finds Paul in Tarsus. <laughs> and brings him back. And together, they meet for a year with this new church and taught them mentors. And this overnight growth turns into a church gathered around God's work, being led by Barnabas and Saul, who was called Paul. Not only were there many added, secondly, there's generosity. Verse 27. Now, in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of uh, Emperor Claudius. Now, why does Luke tell us about this guy Agabus, who the prophet, who the Spirit tells him that there's going to be a famine all over the world? Is it because Luke's giving us a lesson on how people can be filled with the Spirit and prophesy and foretell the future? Uh, I don't think so. It doesn't really fit with where the whole chapter is going. What do these new Greek-speaking Christians do when Agabus predicts a worldwide famine? What would you do if someone was to become and predict and believe them, to predict a worldwide famine. That would include you as well and everybody that you know. What would you do? Well, you'd prepare for the future, wouldn't you? You'd get together supplies for yourself and for your family. And is that what the believers in New believers in Antioch do? No. Look at what they do. Look at what they do. They say, they determined to send relief. Verse 29, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Where do you put things? Let them go. There's new believers. Anybody with a brain on their shoulders would supply themselves for a coming famine. In their generosity, they determined to supply the needs of the Christians in Judea, Jerusalem. People they've never met are racially completely different to and perhaps never do them. And yet, they determined to be generous to them. How good is that? Now that's testimony of the Spirit at work. The rule of Jesus 
actually have any impact on these people. And here you see the difference that gospel message <coughs> makes and that the rule of Jesus makes in people's lives. And we're then shown, by contrast, what Jesus' rule does not include. Final point. Luke changes tack again at the beginning of chapter 12. And he goes back to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, back to Peter. Uh, Peter is, has taken off and he's ended up back in Jerusalem. And after a time of peace, persecution comes again. Verse, uh, chapter 12, you see at the bottom of your uh, page there. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who, who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Luke reintroduces Herod. Uh, we met Herod way back in the early chapters. And here, Herod is seeking to put to death the followers of Jesus. But notice how Herod is introduced. He is King Herod. Back in chapter 4, when he's first mentioned, he's not called King Herod. Here he's addressed as King Herod, which is strange, but true. But it's strange that Luke is building the case that Jesus, the risen, the resurrected and ascended Jesus, is the king of all the nations. Ruling the nations by the gospel message going out as evidenced in the church in Antioch. Why would he then talk about King Herod? Well, I think it's one way of contrast. Contrasting things. Remember back in chapter 11, verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them and brought many that had returned to the Lord and he, as he granted them repentance that leads to life. That's what the hand of the Lord did at the hand of those guys from Cyrene. Herod as king has laid violent hands which leads to death, the death of James. And it escalates into crowd-pleasing violence as Peter is arrested, ready for execution. The hand of the Lord brings repentance that leads to life. The hand of King Herod violence that leads to death. King Herod seeks to imprison. King Jesus releases from prison. We don't have time to read this great passage. You have to read it for yourself in chapter 12, how Peter unintentionally finds himself escaped from prison. Uh, and it's a great read. You'll have to read it for yourself. King Herod puts uh, his failed prison guards to death unjustly. But Jesus ends the tyrannical reign of Herod. At the end of chapter 12, uh, 12 let me see here. Verse 21. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to the people who had gathered. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he lived by worms and breathed last. <laughs> Goodbye, Herod. But the word of the Lord increased and multiplied. King Herod and his rule was a self-serving rule for <coughs> violence. He was a threat to the church, yes. He put James to death. 
Yes, the imprisoned fear is. But it's merely a human threat. He didn't give glory to God, but God brought him to justice. Jesus rules, even over tyrannical kings, who oppose the message. And in Luke's very bookending sort of way, he finishes this section like the word of God increased and multiplied. The believers, back in chapter 11 18, gave glory to God and praised God for the kingly rule of Jesus bringing people from to repentance that leads to life. Herod had the rule that didn't give glory to God and lead to death. Jesus is the righteous ruler who rules through his message being made known. And it's a message that says that all nations, you can belong. There is nothing about you which stops you from being able to belong to God's kingdom. No racial background, no intelligence level, no aptitude, no ability to comprehend or not comprehend, nothing about your looks, nothing about your personality. There's nothing about you that can stop you from being included amongst God's people. The union wants people to feel like they belong. If you're a certain level of aptitude and intelligence, fitting the entry criteria with access to government tertiary placement entitlement or money, then you can belong to the union. And they want you to belong so that you do come again with your money and so on. Jesus says, whoever you are, whatever your background you have, if you repent, that is, if you say that Jesus is king and not me, and when we have Jesus as a ruler, not me, then you are welcome and belong to God's kingdom. Whoever you are, whatever background or level of achievement, or whatever level of failure, whether you feel like you're a failure as a Christian, if you repent and recognize Jesus as him, and give yourself to living with him as king, then you are welcome to life with God. The maker of life, the maker of the universe. That's what Jesus' week is all about. Speaking to people, this message of being part of God's people. We have great confidence, but it doesn't matter who we speak to, who you, whether it's a friend in a class or whether it's a complete stranger. But they, there is, they can belong. There's nothing about it that precludes them from belonging to God's people. And so, we put your head. With telling the message of Jesus with great confidence. And lead us in prayer as we seek to do that. Lord, thank you for your mercy to us in granting us repentance that leads to life through the message that Jesus is King overall. Thank you that His rule uh, is great, that His rule is good and brings the best of life, uh, generosity of life fullness of life. We pray that we might be able to make that known to others. We pray that we might be able to receive that message ourselves. We pray to you today. Amen.
so much that you've given us this amazing message um, of salvation and love and that is just yeah so reliable um, and thank you for your salvation that you've given us um, and that you've given it to us without distinction Lord no matter what background we come from what race what age Lord that you've given it to all of us Lord um, and I pray that you help us to feel completely confident in the salvation that you've given us so that we can go out amongst uni and spread your word in full confidence of you, Lord, without any fear, knowing that you're in control of all things and you will bring forth your will and do your works here, Lord. And I pray that you bless this university in all that we do, Lord, and I pray that you just guide our hearts and minds to follow you. And we pray all these things in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.